0: Well, good morning. So two weeks ago, we began this series called Running with the Giants. And in this series, we're doing some character studies on various people that we call giants of the faith, people whose stories are recorded in the Bible as stories where they had great faith and fully trusted in God for the things that happened. And so as we go through these character studies, we want to know, we want to ask them, If they were here, what would they encourage us with from their stories, from their experiences? What would they challenge us with? We're going to see how their lives can impact and support and encourage our lives today. But before we jump in, I just want to remind you, uh, the notes for this sermon are available in the Uversion app. Uh, If you navigate to the events section, you'll see that the Harbor Church is live. It's one of the churches in your vicinity that you can look for the notes from. Uh, and those will be available during the service. And if you like, you can save those notes and even refer back to them later. So our key verse for this series, this Running with the Giants series, is Hebrews 12, verse 1. And Hebrews 12, verse 1 starts with therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore, there for?" Because no one starts an argument with therefore, right? Like no one just says, therefore, I'm right. We give arguments, we support those points, and then we kind of tie it all up at the end with therefore. So we're going to have to go back and see what was written before Hebrews 12 in order to understand what this chapter is talking about. So if we go back, we see Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is uh, the chapter in Hebrews known as like the hall of faith. It's like a hall of fame for people, again, who acted in great faith, whose stories are recorded in the Bible and they fully trusted God and saw God do great things. And Hebrews eleven mentions many people, but notably Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and many others. And so our therefore comes after the account of all of those people who followed God and who saw God do great things. So now that we know what the therefore is therefore, let's read Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one. So it says, therefore, so now that we've been reminded of all of those things, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Before we go any further, I actually want to touch on that word, that phrase, cloud of witnesses, for a moment, because if you didn't know, in the, uh, in the Greek words, cloud was not just used for the word cloud, but it was also used to describe like the highest seats of a stadium or amphitheater. Now you're probably like, Pastor Nick, why is that relevant? What, is, what does that matter for this verse? Well, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying that if your life took place in an amphitheater, if you picture it for a moment, every circumstance you face, every trial you face, every test you go through, It's as if you're doing this in an amphitheater and the seats are packed with people who can testify from their own lives, from their own experiences. Noah, Moses, all these people would fill the seats of this infinite stadium and they would all testify and support you and encourage you along the way because they know from their own story that God is faithful and he will see you through. So that's what this verse is saying to us. Since we have all that, since there are so many stories of God's faithfulness to encourage us along, let's run with endurance. So far in this series, we've looked at two people. First, we looked at Jacob. Now, Jacob tried to get the life he wanted, but it seemed like every turn life said no. But then when he gave God control of his life, he began to live the life that he was meant to live. And so we learned that when your life isn't turning out the way that you'd hoped, if you give God control of your life, you will have the life that you were meant to have. And then last week, we looked at Isaiah, and we said, when you're trying to make sense of everything, when life is confusing, when you're not sure what's going on, an encounter with God changes everything. When things don't make sense, when we're confused, and maybe when we fall short, if we allow ourselves to get into the presence of God and have an experience with Him and let Him speak to us, He'll help us see clearly, and He'll send us to accomplish His mission. Today, we're talking about a new person. We're talking about Elisha. Now, who's Elisha? Because he's not to be confused with Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes the Bible gives you like really hard names to get, and then when you get an easy one, they put it like right beside a similar-sounding one. So you have Elijah and Elisha. But he's not to be confused with Elijah, although we are going to touch on Elijah for a minute because he was actually the mentor to Elisha. Bear with me getting there. So Elijah was one of the great Old Testament prophets. He was the kind of guy who would walk right up and like confront evil right where it was. He would go right into the palace and call out King Ahab and Jezebel, and then later their son Ahaziah, there's another fun name, uh, who succeeded his father, and they worshiped Baal, and they allowed uh, the nation of Israel to be like mixed in worship between God and idols. And so Elijah, by God's enabling, he performed 14 miracles, if you include the prophecies. And in one moment, again, where there was this mixed worship of different gods going on, Elijah calls all the 450 prophets of another god. And he has this, like, call on your god challenge. And he says, okay, i will going to represent God the Most High, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you guys represent your Baal or whoever it is. And then we'll see which God lights the altar on fire. And even to kind of make fun of them a little bit, because they're crying out, wailing, doing all sorts of stuff, trying to get their, their idol's attention. He actually gets his, like, wet, like soaked, just to rub it in a little bit. And then God sets it on fire. Like, Elijah was epic. His whole life was stories like this. And then there was even a scene where, like, soldiers were sent to arrest Elijah. Because when you confront people about things and they get convicted, but they don't like that conviction, sometimes they're going to send soldiers. So they sent soldiers three times to try and and get him, and twice God struck them down. And the third time, they were so afraid of being struck down that they went to Elijah and were like, please go with us, please. Please don't strike us down, just go with us. So he he goes with them. And then when Jesus comes around, people actually went up to Jesus and, and were so respectful of the ministry of Elijah that they actually said, like, are you Elijah back from the dead? Jesus went to the disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And some of the people said, some say that you are Elijah. When Jesus uh, was transfigured, when, when he was, went up to the mountain and, and uh, the transfiguration occurred, Peter, James, and John were there, and they saw Moses and Elijah. So Jesus, the Son of God, has this supernatural moment where you can see his glorified body and he can bring any two people from the Old Testament who ever lived with him and he chooses Moses and Elijah. So this guy's a big deal. And the disciples actually recognize him. Isn't that interesting? I actually I looked up some old like Renaissance type art pictures to try and see what people tried to recreate out of hearing that story, and they always have like the two tablets for Moses. And then it's just this other, like, old, epic-looking guy, and you're like, who's that? Um, But in the Old Testament, it's interesting. He was described as a really hairy, mysterious man with a leather belt. And every time he was described like that, everyone said, oh, that's Elijah. So that's interesting. But Jesus could have chosen any two people, and he chooses Moses and Elijah. And then in the book of Revelation, uh, John prophesied that two witnesses would appear during the Great Tribulation, and most scholars believe Be moses and elijah elijah was so great that he actually never even died he was carried into heaven on a chariot of fire one of only two people in the bible to have never died a human death now pause for a moment because imagine trying to succeed that guy imagine trying to follow him up like i'm not gonna lie adam if you and i were walking and a chariot of fire split us up and carried you off to heaven I would not be like, all right, guys, it's my turn. I'd be like, what did I just get myself into? So why with all of this good stuff on Elijah, are we talking about Elisha? Well, he's a little bit more relatable. And he may not be great at first, but he ends up being great. And according to the Bible, Elisha actually spent the beginning of his life farming, steering oxen, So his nine to five was open fields and oxen rear ends. And for some people, not everybody, but for some people, that's not really a place we want to be. That might be the last place we want to be. For Elisha, he had no idea that even though his life would start that way, he would end up like doubling the miracles of Elijah, his mentor. Let's look at ourselves for a moment, because I want to reflect before we go further. Most of us believe things about ourselves that are not true. Most of us don't think God will use us. We think our lives don't count. And even though we sing songs and we we agree when the pastor says something we love to hear, sometimes we don't believe that God will do those things through us. So how in the world do we get from here to there? From not even thinking that our life really matters or affecting anything to fulfilling God's special, significant purpose for us. If we ask Elisha, how do we do that? Elisha would say, when you wonder if your life counts, give your best wherever God puts you. Elisha would say, God is watching in the monotonous, in the mundane, in the regular nine to five, and in all the places and circumstances that you don't see as exciting or worth any real value. Elisha would say, he's watching you in those moments before you become great to see if you have the potential to actually be great. So this morning, we're going to look back at some moments in Elisha's life, and we're going to see where God gave him the opportunity to give his best. Because it's likely in that same situation or in similar situations where God challenges us to give our best. So here are three areas where we need to give our best. Number one, give your best in obscurity, and God will reward it. Obscurity, that's not a word we use a lot. But obscurity means when you, when you think that you're not being noticed by anybody. Sometimes we think God doesn't even notice. Obscurity is where you're most tempted to believe uh, that it's okay to give a weak effort because nobody's really paying attention. In 1 Kings, God sent the prophet Elijah to go see three different people, and the third one was Elisha. And God told Elijah, Elisha is going to succeed you. And this is where we first see Elisha in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away. That might seem weird to you, but we'll explain it. But here, this is what this verse is telling us about Elisha. Number one, he came from a well-off family because 12 teams of oxen was not really a common thing then, which I actually think makes this more relatable because it's hard to follow God into the unknown when things are stable. Like when your life situation is good, when you're not really needing a a desperate prayer for some help somewhere, it's easy to just kind of sit back and let life go, let life happen. So he left the stable for the unknown. And more often than anywhere else, that's our situation. It also tells us that Elisha knew who Elijah was, because when somebody puts their cloak on you, you don't just go like, okay. Like, usually, if you don't know that person, you're going to say, whose cloak is this, or who was that guy? Oh, well, I'm just going to continue plowing. But he knew who Elijah was. So Elijah throws his cloak on Elisha, which was a sign back then of like hiring someone of taking them on, covering them under, under your mentorship. It's similar to the way that Jesus went up to the disciples and told them, follow me. And Elisha got up and followed Elijah for the rest of his ministry. And the whole time that he followed Elijah, Elisha didn't really accomplish much, which, again, might seem strange because he, he was called to this purpose. And in one of his first significant moments, he's brought before kings and they refer to him as Elijah's assistant. They actually call him the guy who poured water over Elijah's hands. That's a part of another story, but that's how he was referred to. And sometimes we have this dream to do something big or for God to use us for something big. Like I started learning instruments when I was pretty young. I was like inspired by the worship team at my home church growing up. And I remember I wanted to be a part of that. I loved music, I loved worshiping, and and I wanted to get in on that. And so I tried to learn as many instruments as possible, as fast as possible, hoping, hoping that somebody would notice and that I might get an opportunity somewhere. And, and from that point, I think I was about 11, it was still three years after that, before I got like, an opportunity to be a part of a team. And sometimes when it seems like those big dreams or those big things aren't coming about, we might wonder, where is God? Or what is he up to? Or why is this taking so long? And Elisha would give us this answer, is because God's watching you before you're great to see if you have the potential to achieve greatness, to be great. And Jesus taught this lesson too. It's consistent throughout scripture. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus said, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So when nobody's looking, that's when God is watching So, where else are we challenged to give our best? Number two, give our best in the small things, and God will give you bigger things to do. God cares about the details. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23 to 24 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Do you guys know anyone who's like super detailed? Like everything's organized. If you're going on a trip, there's like a tight schedule that you have to stick to. I remember when, again, when I was a teenager, when I was starting to be a part of worship teams, my mom bought this labeling machine. <laughs> some of you know this story already or, or have a relatable story. But she got it for my brother and I because, again, we were teenage guys. We were carrying a lot of expensive equipment to church and back and to other places. And she knew teenage boys, we would probably lose our stuff somewhere if we didn't have some way to keep track of everything. So everything had a label. Nick's keyboard, Victor's keyboard amp, keyboard stand, guitar stand, some of our cables even had wraps around them. Actually, I'm pretty sure, yeah, look, see that white strip right there? Nicholas Baumhauer, thanks mom. But God cares about the details, and he hopes that we care about the details too. He starts off giving us little things, little responsibilities, little opportunities to see if we care about the little things. And when you start taking care of the little things, God will give you bigger things to take care of. There's this kind of joke that's been like climbing through the church in popularity, and it used to be just a, a nice thing we would say to people, but now it almost like has a derogatory undertone to it, But it's like, when somebody hears someone else say to them, you have a servant's heart, we kind of like turn that into like a derogatory joke now. And it means like, if somebody comes up to you and says, like, Abby, you have a servant's heart. What they really mean is, so we got some chairs in the back that need stacking. (laughs) But it's true. If you want responsibility, if you want leadership, if you want opportunity, you want to play a significant role in the body of Christ, find a place to serve in the church or elsewhere. My youth pastor told me this story about a youth before I knew him who uh, came up to him after youth one night and asked him about being, becoming a worship leader. And he told them, well, you know what? We're packing up stuff. The night's over. Everybody's gone except for a few people. Why don't you stack chairs with me and we'll chat about where your heart's at and like what opportunities are available. But he told them, you know what? My parents are going to be here in a few minutes. I think I'll just wait in the lobby. We'll chat another time except he sat in the lobby for 15 minutes while my youth pastor stacked the chairs and put them away. So instead of stacking chairs and taking the opportunity to explore where his heart was and to see if there's an opportunity where he could get involved, he chose not to see the little things and so he didn't get an opportunity to be trusted with something bigger. And if you can't be trusted with little, you won't get more. Before I went to the Bible college that I attended, uh, I went to check them out during this event called College Days. And it was where high school students and other people could come and check out the college. And there was worship, there was chapel times, we got to sit in on classes and all sorts of fun stuff. But I remember I absolutely loved the worship time. I thought they were great, I thought they, they made the most of the moments that they decided to pause in and speak to us in and encourage us in. And, and I remember in those moments I thought to myself, when I come here, I wanna be a part of that. I think that's the next step for me. I wanna be a part of this worship team. So at the beginning of the year when I went off to Bible college, I auditioned and I joined a worship team as the electric guitar player, and I was committed to bringing my best to that role. And when it came time for college days, not as somebody coming to the school, but as somebody already in the school, the worship coordinator noticed my hard work and he noticed my improvement and my desire to serve so I got to play guitar during my first year at college days for those students who were coming to check out the school. And as I served faithfully in what may have seemed like a minor role or a small role, I was given the opportunity to serve in a bigger, more significant role. And then at the end of the year, when it was time to apply for leadership positions, instead of applying for the worship leader spot, the coordinator for the following year actually came to me and said, would you like to be a leader for next year? So if we give attention and dedication to the little things under our care, it won't be long before bigger opportunities come along. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21, it says, So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, and then he went with Elijah as his assistant. That might be graphic for some of you, but slaying and burning them was a symbol of laying aside his current occupation and taking up Elijah's mantle. It was Elisha's way of indicating, I'm parting ways with my old life, my old job, my old calling, everything before Elijah. And you can't go back to your team of oxen if it's gone. So when when, when God gives you something very little, do you lay aside other things, the other things that you could be doing, and do you serve in that very little? Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And then the last place that we can give our best. Give your best in the natural, in what you can do, and God will do the supernatural. Elisha would say to us, I found out that if I got bold with God, and if I asked him for amazing things, that they would happen. We're going to jump to another scripture uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, and, and Elisha is just about to succeed Elijah. This is just before the moment where the chariot comes through and carries him off. Elijah had just rolled up his cloak, and he had touched the Jordan River. The river split, and the two of them walked across, and they didn't get wet. So starting at verse 9, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And Elisha saw him go up, which means he inherited the double portion blessing. And God asks the same question that Elijah asked Elisha. God asks us, what can I do for you? And again, when Elijah asked Elisha, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, a double portion is something we don't talk about a lot, but essentially it's when we're given double what we used to have, or we're given double what someone else has. And it's only mentioned a few times in the Bible, but probably the most well-known example is Job. Job had this this trial. He was tested, um, and he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his livestock. He lost his home Um, And then when he stayed true to God, God returned double of everything he had before. Except with Elisha, this is the only time in the Bible that someone asked for a double portion. Think about that. God blesses, God, God doubles it in other people's situations, but this is the only time in Scripture that someone has the boldness to ask for a double portion. So when God asks us, what can I do for you? Most of our responses probably sound something like this. I'm sure you can relate to me. Um, Lord, bless the food. Be with us today. Watch over my kids. Keep my job stable. And those are great things. I'm not saying get rid of those prayers, but I'm saying, when's the last time you boldly asked God for something big? Like Elijah went, go big or go home. That's what Elijah even said. He said, you've asked for a difficult thing, and you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it. And Elisha got that blessing. And all he had to do for it was ask. He didn't have to perform perfectly. He didn't have to be a perfect reflection of his mentor before him. All he had to do was say, please, can I have double what you have? When's the last time we asked God for something big? Jesus himself said, you have not because you don't ask. You ask not. John 14, verse 12 to 14 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. That's a promise from the Son of God. Elisha would say, I found out that I'd go from this obscure place of barely being noticed by anyone to being noticed by God and being used in incredible ways by him. And all he had to do was realize God was watching him when he thought nobody was, realizing he was rewarding and blessing the little things that Elisha was doing, realizing that all he had to do was step out and ask God for a big thing. And lo and behold, when Elijah was gone and Elisha took up the mantle of prophet, God did 28 things, 28 miraculous things through Elisha double his mentor, and second only to Jesus in the Bible. What a crazy story. So if Elisha was here with us, what words of encouragement would he give us? As a result of his experiences, the things he went through, what would he share with us? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Cultivate is, is most commonly an agricultural term. It means to prepare and use something for something. So cultivating the presence of God is disciplining yourself to be aware of God's presence and to be moved and guided and directed by him. When you're close to God, he speaks to you. In Second Kings chapter 3, verse 15, there's these three kings who had joined forces to go to war with another nation, and they, they had traveled seven days with their armies. And they had run out of water, and they had no idea what to do. And just like all the Old Testament stories, they just jumped to to a God person. So one of the kings says, well, do we have a prophet? Can God speak to us through someone? And one of the king's lesser officers says, well, we got Elisha. And this is, again, that story that talks about uh, how little Elisha may feel in the moment because he's not addressed as this great prophet yet. They say he used to be Elijah's assistant. In other words, I don't know, we got this guy, I don't know how useful he'll be. He poured water over the last guy's hand, so maybe there's a blessing on him too. So they summon him, and what does he do? Does he have like a big prophetic moment? No. And at first, he doesn't give any kind of big like, thus saith the Lord, like powerful Old Testament voice. Here's what he says. Chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Now bring me a harpist. What? Are you reading the same thing that I'm reading? They're expecting this answer. They've gone seven days without water. They need to defeat this enemy. And they call this guy and he says, Bring me a harpist. But then look what it says. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Elisha understood that God's guidance comes from being in God's presence. He said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to speak on his behalf until we've had a moment of worship, until I've given God an opportunity to speak to me. And when you understand how to discipline yourself to set other things aside and just be in God's presence, that's when he speaks to you. To be guided by God, you have to stay in close proximity with him, just like the disciples. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw, I was talking about the crowds, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And look at this. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their voice. They weren't the wisest. They weren't the best speaker. They weren't the people with all the answers. They were just people, ordinary, unschooled people, who had been with Jesus. I don't know about you, but that brings me a lot of hope. So let's learn to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. Number 2, take a step of faith. Dreams are great, but at some point we have to get moving. We have to get things, we have to get things done. Dreams have to move from inspiration to participation. It's kind of like a stalemate moment sometimes, isn't it? Like you're waiting for God to do something and the whole time God's like I'm just waiting for you to take a step of faith. And more often than not, God wants you to take a step of faith, and then he'll show you that you're on the right track. He'll reward that move. And your faith will come alive when you go from just worshiping God and believing in God to worshiping him and taking steps of faith. And then in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 16, this is his response after, uh, after saying, Bring me the harpist, and the hand of the Lord comes upon Elisha. He says, and, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Remember, they need water. So God tells Elisha, tell them, make the valley full of ditches. What is God saying here? To have a lot of water, you need to have a place to put it. So God is saying, I'm going to do the work, but I want you to make room for the arrival of that work in faith. And that's the faith that God is looking for from us. Let's go back to Hebrews 11 for a minute, the hall of faith, and let's see what their experience was. In verses 39 to 40 of Hebrews 11, it says, These people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. They didn't even get to see the whole fulfillment of the promise, then in James chapter 2 verse 17 again talking about taking a step of faith James says to us in the same way faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action is dead so there's a big difference between standing in belief and just knowing what you know to be true and believing it there's a big difference between that and stepping forward in faith confidently believing and moving forward and making room for God to do things And sometimes we just stick with standing on, yeah, God can do anything, but not really moving forward and making room. Like when Elijah challenged those prophets of Baal in that epic story, and then he gave them the advantage, he put water on his own altar. Nowhere in that story does it say that God told him the whole story and the whole result before it happened. Which brings us perfectly to our last point. Number three, don't base your life on the seen, but on the unseen going back to this story where the army has no water in second kings chapter 3 verses 17 to 18 this is what elisha says for this is what the lord says you will see neither wind nor rain yet this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink this is an easy thing in the eyes of the lord And he will also deliver moab into your hands it's easy to get discouraged when we don't see any signs because we tend to think that god's not doing anything but just because you don't see god working doesn't mean he's not working when what you see doesn't match with what god said that's when you've got to walk by faith not by sight i remember i have this story and Please don't think of, of this as anything special coming from me, but I had this moment um, a few years ago where my mom, her knees were really bad. She had an accident when she was young um, and she was getting like cortisone shots, but it had been so long that those shots, and I'm sure some of you can probably relate, the longer you're taking them, it's kind of like the less, the less impact they have and, and the, the shorter they last before you need another cortisone shot. And we were having this moment we were at a summer camp and and i was spending a lot of time with god praying and and allowing him giving him opportunities to speak to me and and in this moment of bold faith i felt god tell me to tell her like a year from now and i gave her a a significant distance for her to walk at the time and i said a year from now i believe you'll be walking from here to there and back with no pain i said i don't know how god's gonna do it like it could just be bringing doctors along, it could be this miraculous moment, I don't know, and it's not coming from me, but I really believe God wants me to share that with you, and it wasn't a couple months, and then she had a call from a doctor, she got the opportunity uh, to meet with him, and, and basically, the short story is, in less than a year, she had two knee replacements done, she recovered quicker, more quickly than most people do, she put the work in, mind you, man, she... She put the work in, but a year from then, she had walked all the way in that distance that I gave her and all the way back and had no pain. And that might seem like something small, and it really is. Like God said, all of this water for your whole army, and you need a lot of people to win a battle. All this water, no problem. This is an easy thing, and you know what? i just gonna throw in the army too. You're gonna win. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The things that God is doing are eternal. They will last forever. They go beyond our not just our comprehension, but, but beyond all of our physical limits. Fix your eyes on the unseen. It actually makes me think of Uh, When I was growing up, I used to watch these old, like this old 90s cartoon TV show for the Transformers. You know, like before all that cool live action stuff. And this was cool too. But the theme song was like, Transformers, uh, more that meets the eye. Transformers, robots in disguise. And the whole premise was they could be all around you. They could be cars, planes, bulldozers, even a pop machine. And then all of a sudden, this car does like a whole bunch of contortions and like, boom, I am Optimus Prime. But that's like kind of what, is God, what God is saying here. He said, even though you don't see God, that doesn't mean he's not working around you. His work is unseen and we have to tell ourselves, I'm going to trust that or I'm never going to have the faith to take a step forward and to do something. And once I do take a step in faith, God will give me something. Even if it's like a little piece of what I'm about to see fall through or or come through and i'll know that i'm on the right track and then i can take another step of faith and he'll show me that he's still with me and that he's still doing things i hope there's at least one person that can testify to those stories because i have a whole bunch i can share with you i'm going to sum up this message and then i'm going to give us a couple of steps that we can take today so when you're wonder if your life is counting for anything more significant than the just the mundane and the monotonous give the best wherever you are and that might be the obscure the things that are that you feel like are maybe even too low for you that nobody else might be watching God is watching and he will reward everything that's done in secret learn how to cultivate the presence of God so that he can speak to you and so that you can hear him speak to you take a step of faith and don't base your life on the scene things the way things seem to be but on the unseen on what you know god is doing even if you may not be able to see it i want to ask you some questions that have been on my heart in my own life as i've been preparing this message and i want you to think about these questions actually that's what my homework is for you this week i want you to take these questions with you and i'm not going to put them up on the screen but you can go to the harbors facebook page later if you want to refer back to them or um, They'll be on the YouTube video in the next little while in the YouTube channel, too So if you want to go back, you can go back and see them there But here are the questions five questions Number one have I stopped giving my best in obscurity because I forgot that God sees and values the little things? Number two have I stopped dreaming and hearing from God because I'm not spending time in his presence Number three, have I failed to see God move because I haven't asked him to? Number four, have I failed to see a dream come to reality because I haven't taken a step of faith? And number five, have I failed to trust God because I've been fixing my eyes on what things look like right now instead of what I know they will look like when God moves? If the answer to one or more of these questions is yes, just like me this week, that might be why you feel like your life doesn't count sometimes. There might be a few things missing in your walk of faith, but the good news is if we actually reverse that question, it turns into a statement that actually solves the problem. The application is in the question. Check this out. If you want to give your best in obscurity, acknowledge that God sees the little things and get to work. Number two, if you want God to give you dreams and to speak to you, spend time in his presence. Number three, if you want God to move and do big things in your life, ask. Number four, if you wanna see your dreams come to reality, take a step of faith. And number five, if you wanna trust God, fix your eyes on the fact that everything is easy for God instead of looking at the way things are right now and some of us may have to apply one of those some of us may have to apply all of them i want to challenge you again think about these questions reflect on them this week and start applying whatever you haven't been applying if you give your best if you spend time in god's presence if you ask him for big things if you take steps of faith and if you trust him it won't be long before you start feeling like your life counts because you're gonna start moving from small things to big things, to bigger things, and you're gonna know that God is working in your life and it's gonna give you a sense of being used by God, of doing great things, of being in a place of greatness. And the more you invite God to work in your life and the more steps of faith you take when he shows you what he's going to do, the more you'll recognize that your life does count and that God's got bigger things for you than you could have ever imagined. And it doesn't matter if your life is a nine to five job that you feel like is mundane. God can use you for great things. Would you just stand and pray with me before we close out the service? Let's bow our heads together. God, sometimes we don't believe that we really count for much, but God, you want us to see that our lives do count. God, help us to give our best wherever you put us, in the big things and the little things. Help us to cultivate your presence. Help us to take steps of faith and help us to fix our eyes on the unseen instead of what we see right now. God, show us that our lives do count and that you've got big things in store for each of us. And God, use us to build your kingdom here in Concordia, in the surrounding area and wherever we find ourselves this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe that God can use you for great things? I hope so. I just want to share a blessing over you today and then I'll dismiss you together. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a fantastic week. And if you're registered for the Welcome Lunch, don't forget that'll be starting soon uh, downstairs. But for everybody else, God bless. Have a fantastic week.